Last week, who was here last week? Awesome. We preached, well, I preached a message called Don't Look Good job. Don't look back. And we picked up a story. Thanks, guys. I'm sorry. I forgot about you now. (laughs) You're good. We picked up a story from the book of Genesis. We talked about Abraham's nephew called Lot. And Lot, you see, was in this town, in this city, in this land called Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was about to get lit. It was about to be destroyed. It was about to like rain and thunder was about to come down. It was going to ruin that land. And God, in his mercy, wanted to spare Lot and his family because basically Abraham just said, look, if there's any righteous, will you save them? And God's like, if there's any righteous, I will, sorry, save them. And so what happened was the angels of the Lord appeared to Lot and his family and he said, yo, bro, you need to get out of this land. It's about to get wrecked up in here. And Lot was like, like, you know, wasn't sure what he was feeling, didn't know if he believed it. His, bro- uh, his sons-in-laws and his daughters were like not sure if they were feeling this message from the Lord. And then finally the angel's like, forget this. God's hands literally ran out and pushed them into safety and said, go to the mountain. God has prepared a place for you. Go or else you're going to get destroyed. And so Lot was like, mm, he's looking at the mountain. He's seeing that things are about to get ugly. He's like, man, I'm not going to make it to that mountain. Oh, it looks a little bit far. Oh, it's a bit of a hike. I don't know if I have enough emergency to make it to the top, you know? And so all this stuff, he's making all these excuses. But all we know is that the angels of the Lord said, go, don't look back, but get your reboxed on and get there as fast as you can. All we know is that Lot made a bunch of excuses. We don't know if it's because he was afraid. We don't know if it was lack of vision. We don't know why, but he fell short of his destination. He felt short of what God had prepared him to do and to go. And then you have his wonderful wife. She was commanded to keep going. They were all commanded to keep going and not look back. But those of you who are in the 6 p.m. and my Latino friends who know what I'm talking about, as she was running, she looked back and she turned into a bottle of adobo. She turned into seasoning. And my Latino friends, you have a bottle of adobo in your purse right now, don't you? I love adobo, even though I'm not Latino or anything, but I love it. It's in all of my chicken dishes and stuff like that. It's my secret. I love it. But anyway, she turned into a pillar of salt. She got stuck and never made it to her destination. Lot did make it somewhere, but he didn't make it to his God-ordained destination. Happy birthday, Mila. I'm sorry, I forgot to text you yesterday. Anyway, moving on. So anyway, he didn't make it. He got stuck in a cave. His excuses, his fear, all his stuff, he got stuck in the cave for the rest of his life because he was afraid, he fell short of his destination, and he forgot a very important component. Who sent the angels to tell Lot where to go? God. So if God was sending Lot and his family to go, what does that mean for Lot and his family? That everything was going to be okay. That it was going to be all right. God prepared the destination. God was calling him to the mountain, not to some cave next door. God was calling him to advance. God was saying, forget your excuses. Forget your fear. Forget the lack of vision. Yo, Lot's wife, don't look back. And how would this story have ended if they remembered one truth? 
This one particular truth. What would have happened if they would have remembered this one truth that can make today you and I advance? This truth that was true millions of years ago or whatever, thousands of years ago, I exaggerate a little bit, thousands of years ago that was true for them today, 2017 is true for you and for me. And because of this truth, we can advance. Because of this truth, we can move forward. This truth that we're going to talk about today is not always easy to remember. This truth can be uncomfortable to acknowledge, can seem a bit crowded. This truth with the wrong mindset can feel like it's intended to harm you or not necessarily harm you, but keep you stuck. It can give you a sense of feeling trapped. But when we understand this truth, this truth is the most liberating the most freeing, the most empowering, most comforting, most life-changing and life-shaping truth you can ever hold. You see, there's a lot of principles of God's word that we try to hold, and sometimes we preach on faith, so we think about faith for a month, or sometimes we preach about love, so we think about love for a month, but there is one truth that if we can hold to it, I don't know what you need to do to hold to it, but if you can hold to it, if lot would have held on to this. If so many people from front, the front of this book to the end of this book, the word of God would have just remembered and held to this truth, it would have all been all right. And this truth is that in every single moment of every single day, Jesus is in the room. Jesus is in the room. When you are feeling alone, Jesus is in the room. When you are feeling tempted, Jesus is in the room. When you are feeling weak, Jesus is in the room and his strength is made perfect through you. When you are feeling offended and tempted to hold a grudge, remember, Jesus is in the room and all that he has forgiven you was not little. Remember, when you are tempted to give excuses for not advancing in 2017, that Jesus is in the room. How would your faith actually be if you today decide to make a conscious effort to remember that in every day, in every season, in every moment, Jesus is in the room? Tell the person next to you, Jesus is in the room. Tell him again, whether you feel him or not. In chapter three of Daniel, you find three amigos, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who and why did his parents name him that? I don't know. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were put in a fiery furnace, a fiery furnace. Why? Because they refused to bow down to some statue made of some king at the time, Nebuchadnezzar. And they're like, there's no way we're going to defy our God. We worship only one God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Jacob, and, Israel, uh, and, Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. Whoa, <laughs> I remember that one. Okay, and so as they were doing that, they, throw, they threw them into this fiery furnace. But what happened was, as they were in there worshiping God, people are like, wait a second. We put three in there, there's four. How the heck is there four guys in there? Where did this fourth guy come from? 
It was Jesus. The son of God was in that furnace. They saw Jesus. Jesus was in the room. And although it was fiery, and although it was hot, and although you feel like you might be going through the fire, remember this. You might be going through that fire. You might be in that fire. But Jesus is in the room. And no hair on your head can burn off unless he gives permission. And that is the kingship of our Lord Jesus. He's in the room. In Bethlehem, over 2,000 years ago, a woman gave birth to this baby, and these angels showed up, these shepherds showed up, these kings showed up, and these angels started singing, glory to God in the highest. Why? Because Jesus was in the room. Because Jesus was in the room. Later on, Mark chapter 5, Jesus was already a grown man doing his ministry and doing all these things and healing people and miracles, etc., etc. And as he was doing his thing like no one could do like him, he was stopped by a man. He's like, Jesus, I need you to come because my daughter is dying. She's sick. And as a parent, you would do whatever you can to get to Jesus to heal this baby, to heal this little girl. And so Jesus is like, okay, I'm coming. But as he was going, a woman stopped him. And he felt like this power come out of him and this woman got healed and he basically stopped to talk to her. It's another story for another time. And as that was happening, the servant of the man who went looking for Jesus to heal his daughter said, it's too late, don't bother the master, she died. And Jesus heard that, they're like, they obviously don't know who I am. You know, he's like, don't worry, I'm coming. And so they're walking over he gets to the house. He goes to the room where this little girl is. He gets everyone with disbelief out of that room. You don't believe? Get out. You don't believe? Get out. Right now. Get out. You don't believe? Get out. He left a couple in there so he can show them how the power of God moves. And he goes, little girl, get up. And what happened? The little girl got up. Why? Because Jesus was in the room. Because Jesus was in the room. Matthew 14, we pick up a story where Jesus was not with the disciples in that moment, so they thought. They're in this boat, the storm is going nuts, the waves are going nuts, they're freaking out, and they're like, we're not going to make it, we're not going to make it, and to add insult into injury, they're looking out, and they're like, oh my gosh, there's a ghost coming our way, you know, and they're like, oh no, wait, it's Jesus, <laughs> it's not a ghost, and all of a sudden Jesus comes, he calms the storm, he calms the wind, he's like, don't fear, I am here, don't fear, I am here, it says in Matthew 14, 21, but Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here, are you in a storm right now, are you on the verge of losing a job maybe, are you on the verge of losing your marriage, or maybe you're on the verge of losing your faith, because you've gotten disappointment after disappointment, or maybe you've just been believing for a change for your spouse, a change in situation for your life, and you're in the middle of this storm, and Jesus Jesus comes in. He's like, yo, the king is here. The king is here. Jesus is in the room. It's gonna be okay. And what I love about all of these things is something that we often forget because we make these questions and we ask these questions. Well, if Jesus is in the room, why did this happen in the first place? If Jesus is in the room, well, why did my loved one have to pass away? Or why did this person have to get sick? Or why did I have to lose my job? Or why did I have to go through this? And we ask these questions, but we forget this one important truth. 
John 16, 33, it says this. Jesus says, I have told you all this that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Never in scripture does it say you will have the perfect life. Never in scripture did it say life will be a bed of roses, which by the way, there's thorns on those things. I don't know why that illustration ever means anything other than like, ouch, you know what I mean? But like all of a sudden, people think that to have Jesus in the room means you're exempt from all problems. No, what that means to have Jesus in the room means that when you go through things, you're not alone. When you go through things, you can draw from the strength of your Savior. When you go through trials, you can do them in peace. I know people that can go through hell and high water, yet they have the peace of the Lord flowing out and through them. So what happens when we remember that Jesus is in the room? How do we advance When we remember Jesus is in the room, if you're taking notes, there's a few of these. Number one, we can find strength when we feel weak. We can draw our strength from knowing the king is there. Joshua 1.9 says, this is my command, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid, discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you what? Wherever you what? Overflow, wherever you what? Overflow, a little louder. Wherever you? Yes. (laughs) Number two, we gain courage and dismiss fear when we remember Jesus is in the room. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Psalm 23, 4. What happens When you discover something about your family that could potentially break your family apart, what do you do when you're about to get a report from the doctor and you have a feeling it's not going to be a good report? What happens when the one thing you've been waiting for, the one thing you've been hoping for, it just seems like it got the final slam of a closed door? You can gain courage and you can dismiss fear in the midst of a report that sounds bad, in the midst of a disappointment, perhaps of a family thing going wrong. And you can sit there and you can lift your head because Jesus is the lifter of your head. And you could say, dang, that was hard to take, but I am strong because God, Jesus is in the room. The king is here. Say it with me. The king is here. Number three, our character gets sharpened. Our character gets sharpened. The truth in this statement that Jesus is in the room is a truth that holds us accountable. It's a truth that holds us accountable because sin loses its attraction when we remember someone is watching. How many of us have been busted on the job because we're on our phone on Instagram or Facebook and then your boss is like, yo, what are you doing over there? And you're like, oh, nothing, I'm just working on my 
documents, whatever, you know? I mean, I'm sure we've all been busted somehow of doing something, unless you're the boss. But, uh, and then you're like looking at people's shoulders, like, what are you doing? <laughs> I have a habit of doing that, whether our team knows I do it or not, but I do it. <laughs> and so, anyway, our character gets sharpened. When you are tempted to lie from the smallest lie to the biggest, from a hint of dishonesty to a full-blown lie, if you could just remember, Jesus is in the room, and whatever is tempting you to think you need to lie, you'll know that he'll make a way for you so that you don't have to sink in your character, so that you don't have to put marks on your character, but instead advance as a man, advance as a woman of God. That's what happens when we see Jesus in the room. We advance in our character. Number four, our attitude gets adjusted. How would you speak to your spouse? How would you speak to your children? How would you speak to that guy in the parkway who just cut you off? If you knew Jesus was in that car with you, you'd be giving that person that bird? Probably not, right? Let's be real. You would not be giving that guy that bird that just cut you off if you knew Jesus was right next to you. But he is. But he is. I was saying at the 945, I had a moment yesterday of conviction because I had already written this I was working on it last night, but I had written it, and this part here, our attitude gets adjusted, convicted me, because yesterday, I had a full-on day. I went with my sister for the day to do this spa thing. It was pretty cool. It was a Christmas gift to my sister. And, um, and then I had a night thing. I had some friends over last night, and obviously preaching all day, and I'd been sick. So I was a bit stressed because my house was chaotic. You know, three kids plus a husband, it gets kind of messy, you know? And so I came down the stairs, and I was like giving Anthony an attitude. And literally, he's looking at me, he's like, is there anything else you're going to say? You know, I can't do the Aussie accent. I'm not even going to try it. And I was like, oh, man, my attitude sucks so bad. I was like, Jesus is in the room. I was preaching this. I knew I was preaching, and I felt so convicted. I was like, sorry, Lord. You know, sorry, babe. <laughs> so, and that's what happens when your attitude gets adjusted because you remember that Jesus is in the room. You won't do this perfect. See, uh, getting used to understanding that he's in the room, you're going to fail sometimes. You're going to feel like you disappoint Jesus sometimes. And that doesn't surprise him because, you see, he's not there waiting for you to mess up. He's not there. See, a lot of people think that God is only there to reveal to us when we mess up, to reveal to us when we fall short. He's not there with a stick in the sky like all these people think, like, oh, he's just waiting for me to mess up so he can reveal how sucky I am. Actually, that's not why he's doing that at all. That's not what his presence is about at all. That's not what his omnipresence, his all-ever-present presence is about at all. It's actually for you. Yeah. It's to encourage you. It's to let you know you're a champion. And what you're about to do or say or how you're about to think or act, it's not the character of God's son or daughter. So you can do better than that. It's an encouragement. Number five, very important one. Our loyalty gets established. How do you speak of others when they're not there? How do we act when our spouse is not around? And what I mean by that, this might, you know, step on a little bit of toes. Your spouse is not there, but your friend from work is there and you think he's a hottie. So you kind of dangle a little bit with the flirting thing because your spouse is not there. Or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Or maybe like you're messing with finances and a couple of bucks here and there, no one's noticing. But Jesus is in the room. 
Our loyalty gets established when we can just grasp the fact he's with us. And that's not against you. It's for your good. Number six, we take wise and godly steps instead of emotional and selfish steps. When we know that Jesus is in the room, we draw from his wisdom, we draw from his courage, we draw from his, his desire for our life instead of taking steps that maybe satisfy just us. We live in this culture where, if you think about it, it's become less about honoring God and leadership and it's become about you as your own God. What is church, like what's in it for me for church? What can I get out of it? That message wasn't deep enough. That message wasn't good enough. That worship was lame. That worship sounded like this and all this stuff and we keep putting things and we keep labeling things if it doesn't fit your style. But here's a thought. wasn't created for you. You were created for God. So why is it all that we do reflects the opposite? Well, and you let your body do the shaking. Wait a second. I didn't feel that. You don't need to feel anything because God is God. And he doesn't need you to feel whether he's there or not because he's bigger than your feelings. He's the real deal. Take wise and godly steps instead of emotional and selfish steps when you remember he's in the room. Oh, you're so careful because you so badly want to follow his desire for you because you want to get to the mountaintop. You don't want to live in some cave, stinks, baths. I'd be freaking out if I was in a cave. (laughs) I'm scared of moths, okay? Yes, I know Jesus is in the room, but I'm scared of moths, okay? His hand will guide you. His strength will support you. Can the worship team come? <clears throat> Number seven, ultimately our lives begin reflecting more of what it was created for. Our lives are not created for nine to five. Our lives are not created for just getting whatever we want out of this life. You see, God created us for a purpose. He created us to be worshipers. He created us to be worshipers. I love what it says in Isaiah 43, seven. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, It's a truth that when you understand its power, it's a truth that when you understand the love behind it, it will actually cause for your life to be lived out as one of worship to God, as one that honors God, as one that works as unto the Lord. When we remember Jesus is in the room, we are more determined to live an honorable life, to be an honorable person because we are in the presence of the King of Kings. You know, We've lost a bit of what it means to be honorable. We've lost a little bit of what it means to stand before royalty. You know, back in the day when you stood before royalty, before leadership, if you didn't honor it, you were stoned to death. Today, all we do is mock leadership, mock authority. I don't care which side of the spectrum you're on. Eight years ago, Republicans were throwing, throwing stones at Obama, speaking badly about Obama. And you can have your thoughts. I have my opinions too. But we're still called to honor and pray. Now, eight years later, we have a Republican president. 
who has more moral, uh, well, hold on. He has more policies when it comes to things that we stand for. And so we have people on the left who are mocking our president and who are dishonoring our president. It doesn't matter. Christians do it when they don't like the president in and non-Christians do it when they don't like the president in. We have a culture of dishonor. Let's be real. You're not holier just because you disagree with your leader and maybe that leader, whether a president, a mayor, is completely not doing the right thing. If you have an issue with it, just pray about it. You want to actually solve the issue? Ask God to do something. You talking about it and dishonoring it is actually taking a go at your character. Can I tell you something? Sometimes what wisdom is silence. Some people think that, oh, you're, the, the, the worst thing you can do is be silent about what matters. Actually, the most thing you can do is get on your knees and ask God's mercy on this country. Honorable people, life of worship. Someone were to go on your news feed, will they capture that about your life? If someone were to look into your mind, thank God they can't, right? Would they see an honorable life? of worship, or they'd be like, yo, that's stinky in there. I don't know why I talk like that up here. I normally don't see that, but anyway, I'm a little bit crazy. I do always, oh, I didn't, oh, Anthony Holmes does. Yes, he does, especially when he gets excited. You know what happens when we live a life of worship because we see Jesus is in the room? We go from just having opportunities and seeing God in those opportunities where before they were just obligations. You see, what happens is you live your life, you just go to work, you clock in, you clock out, you do your thing, and it's just your obligation. You go to church, it's your obligation. You do whatever you gotta do, it's your obligation. But when you see that Jesus is in the room, those obligations are no longer obligations. They are opportunities. They are opportunities to make a difference. When we see that Jesus is in the room, we no longer take going to work half the other word you will normally use when you say half something, you know, half you fill in the blank, half butted. <laughs> Anyone get that or no? I'm not gonna say it. And sometimes we go to work and we forget that if we see Jesus in the room, if we remember Jesus is in the room, We'll do what the angels did. They grabbed Lot's hands. They grabbed Lot's, oh, sorry about your turtle, honey. Come up. They grabbed Lot's hands. They grabbed Lot's family's hands. They're like, dude, it's about to go down. Come on, I gotta get you to safety. And we start seeing our obligations as opportunities. And we start to rescue people because heaven is real. Hell is real. Jesus is real. What he did is real. Those angels grabbed Lot and they're like, get to the mountaintop. This is for real. It's going down. Thanks, baby. Some people will look at this concept or not a concept, this truth and see how it's just an intimidation tactic that religions have. Heck to the no. This truth is actually for you. It's not because God's looking to say, oh, look at all you've done. You've done all this wrong. Actually, no one. See, God is waiting to tell you all he has done 
for you. See, you think that God is there waiting to tell you all the bad, all the wrong you've done in your life. Well, actually, he's there to tell you all the good that he's done for you because he doesn't care about what you've done if you just come to the understanding of the cross of Jesus and what the freedom that he died to give us is for. Then you just bow your heart to him and you're like, Jesus, you are in the room and I want my life to bring honor and worship. I want to be an honorable person because this stuff is real and we walk around life like it's not. Christians, if you've been a Christian for 50 years, sometimes you grow over familiar. Church becomes over familiar. Leaders, pastors, different people in here, don't let worship, don't let the prayer before worship, don't let the prayer during worship, don't let the word that you've heard a million times go through because Jesus is in the room and he's leaning in and waiting for your true worship. True worship. You know what Jesus is saying as he's in the room with you? He's saying, come on, champ. He's saying, come on, sweetheart. Come on, bro. You don't need to do that. You're better than that. You're my son. You're royalty. You don't need to go that way. You know what? You don't need to do that. You've got this. I'm with you. I know it's hard, but you are not alone. You're not alone. Psalm, one, uh, sorry, Psalm 16, 8 through 9 says, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he's right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. You know, some of you might be asking, well, you know, my theological or not theological, my theoretical brain and my scientific brain doesn't make sense. How can God be in every place at every time? It doesn't make sense. Well, Shelly asked this question a long time ago, well, maybe a year ago now, so early in the morning. Shelly's so inquisitive and deep for a five-year-old child. Lord have mercy. And she goes, Mom, Dad, God is so big. God is so big. She does a shoulder thing. Then how does he fit in our car? Like with attitude. I was like, this child, it's too early for theological questions. She's like, if God is so big, how does he fit in our house? And I'm like, Shelly, you know your Barbie Jeep? Got real deep. And I'm like, um, if I threw it in Dave's pool, our neighbor, and it got all the way to the bottom, would it be filled with water? She's like, I think so. I'm like, yeah, it would be filled with water. But you know that all the water around it, because it's so much water, just inundates everything around it. It's like God. God is so big. He's just all around. But there's a difference. See, that's called the omnipresence of God. Omnipresence is, is it, the definition is basically, he's present everywhere at every time. But the reality is about his omnipresence, you might not always feel him. The truth is he's there. But why don't you feel him? And that's the difference between the omnipresence and the manifest presence of God. You see, the manifest presence of God is when you intentionally, when you humbly, when you sometimes desperately come before him and you bow your knee and you're like, I just need you. I just want to experience you. I just want to encounter you. I need you in worship. If, if we're able to disconnect, worship team, if you're able to disconnect from trying to sound great, and I know you have to do that, and just really focus on heaven coming down. If you are in your seat and you're receiving worship from the team or being ushered by the team into worship, if you can, for a moment, disconnect. 
and just say, God, I worship you. God, I honor you as the king. Man, how people used to honor the king. They would get before their knees, bow their heads. What happened to that culture? The culture of honor, the culture of worship, and how you respond to leadership and royalty. You might be in here and you might be like, it's kind of hard, Pastor Miriam, because if he's there, why did all this happen to me? Why did all this go down? Why am I not receiving my breakthrough yet? Kind of like Anthony Holmes said earlier, you're about to take off. You might not know exactly the time or the place, but you're gonna take off. He never said you wouldn't go through trials. He said you would, but he'd be with you. You can go through whatever you need to go through, knowing that the king, the prince of peace, your hope and your joy is right there with you. How do you bring this truth into your everyday life? How do you grow in your awareness of his presence? Determine to be a worshiper who worships in spirit and in truth. Engage, engage. Just don't let that song go by. Engage. To worship I live, to worship. You know, just engage. Don't keep Jesus just for Sundays. Remind yourself. Set a text message. Set a reminder. Jesus is in the room. See Jesus intentionally in opportunities. Your awareness of him can be life-changing for someone else. I want to tell you today, because Jesus is in the room, you don't have to stay stuck. Because Jesus is in the room, you don't have to retreat. Because Jesus is in the room, you can advance. Because Jesus is in the room, you can push forward. Your marriage can be saved. Your finances can be changed. Because Jesus is in the room, there is hope. Jesus is in the room. This truth should empower you, should strengthen you, should sharpen you, your character, your loyalty, and your faith. My kids right now are in a funny stage. Well, they've been in this stage for a while. They love knock-knock jokes. But if you know Benny, if you hung out with him for more than five minutes, he's either trying to push a fart out or talking about poo. And I'm not even kidding you. Kids Alive will tell you, Pastor Magno created a rule in our home. Benjamin, if you're gonna fart, you run to the bathroom and you wait 10 seconds and then you come back into the living room because your smell follows you. And so Benny now does it. I'm like, where's Benny running to? He's in the bathroom and you hear him count. One, two, three, four. It's a great new rule. Thank you, Pastor Magno, for establishing that in the Fleming household. I appreciate it. But anyway, recently, this beautiful worshiper right here, Stephanie, babysat and taught them another poo, not not joke. And we're gonna do it together, okay? Overflow, you're gonna do it with us too. Knock knock. Yeah. Europe. Europe. <laughs> Some didn't get it. Let's do it again. Knock knock. Yeah. Europe. 
Get it? You're a poo. Ben loved it. She put it on Snapchat. It was everywhere. I'm like, great. More poo jokes. But here's another one for you. Knock, knock. Jesus. The good shepherd. The king of kings. The lord of lords. The prince of peace. Your savior. Your hope. Your peace your joy, your strength, your defender, the lifter of your head. The first and the last. The author of your faith, Emmanuel, God with us, our solid rock. God, Yahweh, Elohim, God, God, do we understand God is in the room? Do we understand we are in the midst of royalty? Do we understand? Do we understand? How do we honor royalty? He's in the room. 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 The king is in the room. The king is here. And let me tell you this. The truth is, yes, he's in the room. But the problem is, does he feel welcome in your room? When you're at home and you're going nuts on your spouse, does the king feel welcome in your room? Man, when you're talking about someone, when you're saying things less than pleasing about someone, is the king welcome in that environment? Because I tell you this, when we welcome the king of kings, when we welcome the good shepherd, when we welcome Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the atmosphere changes. A miracle can happen. The Spirit of the Lord is there. He can break chains. He can bring breakthrough. He can bring salvation, which is the greatest miracle of all. And actually, that's my next question for everyone in this room and for those who are in overflow. Jesus is knocking on your door, and he's not asking you if you're from Europe. He's knocking at your door. He's there. But does he feel welcome? Have you welcomed him? Have you said, you know what? I've done this life thing my own way, trying to be a good person. You know, it's not about being a good or bad person. Knowing Jesus has nothing to do about whether or not you're a good person, you do good deeds. It's all about receiving the forgiveness and receiving the gift of what he did on the cross for us. So I'm not asking you, are you a good person? I'm asking you, has Jesus already forgiven you of your sins? Have you made a moment, a defining moment in your life where you say, man, I'm a good person. I have my life all put together, but I don't have the salvation that you're talking about. I haven't personally received the gift of what Jesus did on the cross, but I want it today. 
You might not know what it looks like. That's what the church exists. We're here to help you on that journey. You're not going to do it alone. So every eye closed, every head bowed, and overflow as well, every single person, even if you're watching online, every single person, this is a God encounter moment. This is a manifest presence time for someone in here. I believe there are people in here who are far from God, who need to welcome him in their heart. And literally all you need to do, the Bible says, if you publicly acknowledge me before men, I'll publicly acknowledge you before God. This is Jesus speaking. So if that's you, all I'm asking you to do is slip up your hand so I could see it. I'm not gonna call you forward. I'm just gonna invite you in a prayer, all of us together, right from where we are. I see that hand. I didn't even ask for you to raise your hands. People are already raising their hands. Anybody else in here wanna make a decision to follow Jesus? All across this room, if that's you, if you're placing your trust in Christ, if you're asking him to come into your heart, all across this room, just slip up your hand so I could see it. Slip, slip it up real high. Even if you're in overflow, if that's you, come on, as a church, we're gonna pray this together. And if you didn't raise your hand, but you're feeling the nudge, pray this with us. And then I'll tell you what your next steps are. Ready to pray together? Dear Jesus, thank you for being in this room. Thank you for the cross. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new. Help me advance in you. In Jesus' name, I make you Lord of my life. And I receive you as King of Kings. In Jesus' name, amen.